Greetings, dear listeners. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Blue Collar Lutherans podcast. Uh, today is another solo adventure uh, with Vink Vicar Michael Winkler, that is myself. Uh, <clears throat> uh, our, our good friend uh, and fellow Blue Collar man, Matt Whedon, is not here with us today, but that's all right. The show goes on. Uh, today, I'm going to be fielding another one of uh, the questions from you, uh, listener, listeners uh, at home. And, and today's question deals with something a little sensitive, a little personal, a little, a little, uh, um, uh, a little something, something that people don't like to talk about, and that is money. And today's big question is simply: Why do churches even ask for money at all? Now there, uh, there's three reasons why that I am going to specifically be talking about today, and and uh, yes, <laughs> those will be the three reasons why. There are many, 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 many more, but I'm going to choose three that I think are, uh, in particular, compelling, uh, and would perhaps sufficiently answer that question: Why do churches ask for money? Now, look, I I get why the government wants our money, right? They need to build roads. They have to pay for um, uh, big things like schools, uh, hospitals, um, uh, libraries, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, And I understand why a restaurant wants my money, right? They have razor-thin margins. Uh, they have to pay employees. They gave me a delicious meal. I should pay them. Uh, and I can understand why uh, things like banks want my money, right? It's, it helps them stay alive. It helps the economy. Uh, da, 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 da. But why in the world does the church want my money? And many people believe that money and religion just do not Mix, and they think that it simply shouldn't mix, just like oil and water. Or, or the folks in the South. Uh, some of you may know that uh, I I uh, uh, served in in Houston, Texas for a while. But some folks down there say oil. So, like oil and water, uh, or anything else that you can think of that doesn't mix, like a Vikings and a Green Bay Packers fan, like an Iowa Hawkeye and a Nebraska Cornhusker. They just don't mix. Now, uh, people oftentimes think that they shouldn't mix because on one extreme, people think that money in itself in itself is evil. It corrupts everything that it touches. Uh, you know, you shouldn't touch that dollar because it's probably covered in germs and demons, right? So, uh, people <laughs> can sometimes think very extremely that money in it of itself is the problem. Uh, and then on the other end, people kind of see on the other extreme that money shouldn't mix in religion because religion at times can be evil and can be sinful and do awful things. Uh, I'm looking at you, um, the pastors that have to have several jets that are paid for by their churches. Um, or perhaps the greatest example of this is uh, the gentleman that actually is in Houston, Texas, um, Joel Osteen. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, yeah, so he is a multi, multi, multi millionaire. Um, has a church where you have to pay to even get into the place, uh, and um, kind of takes advantage of people's sensibilities who are hungry for hope in the world. So you have these two extremes. Money in and of itself is evil, and sometimes religious institutions uh, that have kind of the moniker or the the logo of Christian take advantage of people. Uh, in, in these both of these extremes, it raises a great question. Why are churches um, or any other really places of, of ministry or religious institutions so quick to ask for money and to tell you what to do with it? And again, like I said before, at a super basic level, there are three reasons as to why religion has super legitimate interest, and I'm really speaking specifically Christians, has a legitimate interest in how its adherents, how the their parishioners, the people who come to church, spend their hard-earned cash. The first reason, numero uno, is practical. They need it. They need it to keep the lights on, to to kick on the air when it gets hot, to turn on the heater when it gets cold. Um, uh, so they need it just so that the building, the place to come together can still be ran, can be maintained. Uh, they also need it to pay the pastor and anybody else that does ministry or or works at the church. The pastor needs to feed his family. Uh, the pastor uh, has uh, the ability to organize people and to uh, get them going and to do ministry in their in their village, in their city, wherever they are at. They are helping uh, to do things to serve the community so that the gospel uh, can get out there. And not only that, so that mercy can be had, so that needs can be fulfilled within the community. Um. And churches do much more, like like I was just saying, than just keep their doors open on Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> for more than a thousand years, for thousands of years, religious communities have been leading, have been the leading providers of education, of healthcare, of service to the vulnerable and to the weak around the world. Uh, orphanages, they were invented by the Christian church. Hospitals, they were invented by the Christian church. The Christian church were one of the very first people in the history of ever to uh, take special care of of uh, widows uh, and uh, not just widows, but orphan children of people who were uh, ill and sick. Uh, they would go into those places and help um, and this was made possible by God through ordinary means. These people were helped uh, in, in oftentimes in miraculous, incredible ways through ordinary means uh, of generous, faith-filled people um, that sought to be important to help support those things. Uh, Paul, within Scripture, uh, so this was, you know, when the church was just starting after Jesus' death and resurrection. He had a tent-making business. He made tents. He he was a blue-collar guy. Um, 
And he had to be supported by all sorts of people in all sorts of different ways. Uh, he, you can even see in some of his scripture, I don't have it pulled up now, but if you read some of his letters, he talks about how he thanks some of the churches uh, for financially supporting him so that he can continue to do the work. So that's one reason. It's, it's practical. The, the doors need to be open. Maintenance needs to be done. But also good work and mercy work and mission work is being done in your communities. Um, uh, VBS oftentimes uh, can be free, but it's not free to do. Right? So uh, we need ordinary means to do kind of extraordinary things. Another reason is out of dear pastoral care and concern for the well-being of one's spiritual growth. Uh, Your pastor most likely cares that you're tithing, not so that he can just build another building or uh, so that uh, the lights can stay on, but because he actually dearly cares about your spiritual growth and well-being. Jesus once said, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Bible, uh, uh, in other words, money is, is so powerful. It's such a powerful force in our lives, um, that, and it's such of earthly importance that how one decides to spend it really tells you a lot about who they are on the inside and about what is truly important to them and where their hope is anchored. Therefore, any person of faith who's serious about examining their deepest hopes and their core values and any leader in faith who truly cares about the maturity and the growth and the character of of his people must address what's done with the money. Uh, they do it because they care. Uh, you know, the I'll I'll uh, give you uh, a few stories here. Um, so. Uh, there was a there was a lady, and I'll leave her unnamed because she didn't know that I was going to be talking about this. But there's a lady that I knew at a church in Houston when I was there. Uh, she was she was much much older than I was, and she was never really a lady that had uh, very much to her name. She got by, she did well, she wasn't destitute by any means, uh, but she was she never really was uh, upper middle class, so to speak. But there was a time in her life when she was much younger. When she got a divorce, and when a woman in the 70s uh, got a divorce, that was oftentimes did mean that, they, that she didn't have much. She was working uh, extremely hard, but she had four children at home, all, uh, all uh, high school age and younger. Uh, she had enough just to keep the lights on, Uh or the other way around, actually, she had just enough to keep them fed, not to keep the lights on. And she was dearly faithful. She's somebody who loved Jesus Christ. She's somebody that's been a Lutheran her entire life, uh, but now she's in a awful predicament. And any pastor, anybody would say, it's okay for you not to tithe this month uh, or this week or what have you so that you can keep the lights on at your house. Well, uh, she was so compelled to not do that that she said that uh, one of the greatest uh, 
moments of faith that was gifted to her in her entire life. She said that she had no idea why she made the decision. She just did. But she gave the rest of, literally, the rest of her money uh, in the offering plate that Sunday. And in two weeks, uh, her lights were going to be turned off. Uh, But she just trusted in the Lord. And miraculously, she was able to get extra work on the side. Uh, Money came, it showed up, and she was able to pay. Uh, Now, I'm not saying (laughs) that... That, you know, you do X and then Y and Z is going to happen. But that is just an example of how the Lord provides. And, and more so, it's, uh, it's an example of uh, where her faith was anchored. Um, she was able to get by. And ever since then, she said she's never missed a single uh, uh, opportunity to tithe the rest of her life. And, and um, it's because she just trusts in the Lord. Uh so, um, a great way of putting it uh, is this. Uh, with regard to tithing, with, with giving money, the best question to ask is not, do I have to give 10% of my income to the church? The answer to that question simply uh, is no. A better question uh, to ask may be, would I like to be the sort of person who is spiritually and financially able to give 10% of my income to the church because of the faith I have in Christ? And if your answer to that question is yes, then there's a good chance that tithing is for you. Uh, and that's what pastors really care most about uh, when in in the, the sense of tithing is... Um, they truly see that as a means or as a way to see where is your hope anchored. Because if your hope isn't anchored in Christ, if if you um, aren't able to do that uh, because of whatever reason, uh, the pastor wants to know. Because then he wants to point you to uh, hope in Christ. Or perhaps maybe there's something that the church can do. Uh, to to help to to make sure that you can keep the lights on, uh, so to speak. Okay, so that's the the first reason is is for practical things. The second reason is because the the pastor, the the person whose job it is to to care for you, dearly does care for you, and wants to know where your hope is. Um, and then thirdly is theological. It's the theological implications. Uh, If you believe God created you, if you believe that God created all things and he's eternal and that he exists, then really all that we see, all that we have actually belongs to him uh, and it was made by his hands and he simply has just allowed you to have it. Uh, sure, I, I, I'm certain you have worked really hard to have that, uh, but God has given you the means to be able to work hard. He has, he has given you uh, the job. He gave you the rain for your crops. He gave you the, the opportunity of, of the, uh, uh, to even have the job at all. He has set into place the ability for our country to even have an economy. All that exists is his, and it's going to remain long after we are gone. Uh, No one really owns anything that they have. 
We are simply momentary managers of those things. Uh, there's a farmer up in Wisconsin. His name's Doug Duran. He's, uh, he's kind of a thinker and a writer, too. And he often says, it's not mine. It's just my turn. When he talks about stewarding the land and stewarding his funds and the things that he has, it's not mine. I don't own it. It's just my turn to take care of it. Uh, so therefore, a person of faith will be drawn with the help of their church and their spiritual leader, so their pastor, to consider what it means to rightly manage God's goods. So that's why in Christian circles, you may hear the talk of stewardship. Uh, so yes, uh you see that God is the rightful owner of all the things and, and churches and religious leaders certainly at times do abuse these ideas and demand too much. And absolutely that is far from, uh, the typical or average example of a Christian church. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the average Christian gives about 2% of their income and that's far less, uh, than the 10% than what's even asked. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> so uh, when we, to talk about that 10% there, um, the average person gives 2%, uh, and since everything is God's, 10% might seem like a lot, that God is asking for a lot, that he's getting a little greedy, but uh, that's not really the picture. So I, I want you to picture it this way. Before I learned to become a, a, a pastor or was in that process, I did a lot of teaching of students, of, of kids. Um, and I would love to use food metaphors because adolescent boys and girls always have food on their mind. So I'm going to use a food metaphor right now. So if God uh, gives you 10 bananas, he says, okay, you keep nine just send me one. If he gives you, now I want you to visualize that, keep those bananas uh, in your mind. Uh, now God gives you 10 pizzas and he says, you keep nine pizzas. You just send me one. Then he gives you uh, 10 cookies. God says, you keep nine cookies, give me one. So now you have nine bananas, nine pizzas, nine cookies, and God just has three of all of those things. He has one banana, one pizza, one cookie. And now God gives you nine or ten dollars. And he says, you know what? I'll just take one. I, I desire for you to give me one. Uh... <laughs> Now, if you keep that in your mind, that visual, 10% doesn't really look like uh, a tremendous amount. You tell me who's getting the better end of the deal. Who's getting blessed? Um, <laughs> I would say we are the ones getting blessed. Uh, nine cookies is always better than just one.
All right, folks, that's, uh, that's ends today's podcast. So uh, those are the three reasons why churches ask for money. One, it's practical because it keeps the doors open and it helps to do ministry. Two, because the pastor cares about where your uh, hope is anchored. Uh, and if you uh, aren't giving <laughs> money, it may mean that you don't trust the Lord is going to provide. And, and he cares to know that. Uh, and he he cares to be able to point you in the right direction. Uh, and then lastly, uh, it's because really everything isn't ours anyways. God gives us 10 cookies, 10 pizzas, 10, 10 bananas. He only asks for one. He gives you $10. He only asks for one. We are the ones who are getting the better end of the deal. We are blessed. All right, dear listeners, thank you for uh, coming along with me. And as I field that question, if you have any other questions, please contact Blue Collar Lutherans at Outlook.com. Again, that is Blue Collar Lutherans at Outlook.com. We look forward to hearing from you. God bless.